So uh, for all those who don't know me, my name is Amir, and Pastor Monty, Pastor Olga, and the four children are all out on a much-needed vacation. So um, I'm closing out the series September today. And how, 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 blessed, how blessed are you from this series thus far? Awesome. It's been an awesome series thus far, and I'm going to, in the same vein of simplicity, the series name is September, the final word is fruit. I, I didn't want to get too creative, it's just fruit. So thus far, we've learned that the knowledge of God, does it, does it make us smarter or does it bring us closer to Jesus? We also have learned that the relationship, the, the mark of a true disciple is this faithful lifestyle. The fruit of your relationship with Jesus is a lifestyle that is dedicated to him. We've also learned that growth, harvest, your harvest is realized through your growth. But, but I'm here to say that our fruit, that our harvest we are not just to stop at planting seeds. We are not just to stop at watering our soil. We are to keep going into our final destination, which is we are transformed. We are blessed. We have a relationship with Christ. Therefore, we bring transformation to the people that we encounter. We look at Matthew 9. This is a text that we looked at last week or two weekends ago, and we saw that Jesus was spreading the gospel in his cities, and he was teaching in synagogues, and he was healing the sick and healing them of afflictions, and he prayed this prayer, this powerful prayer, that laborers go out and harvest, because there are souls that are walking around like sheep without a shepherd, but it's our job as laborers, as co-laborers in Christ, given the same authority and blood as Christ, we have the same responsibility to go out and take those lost sheep and bring them into the encounter with our shepherd. And if we aren't, how can we as the church, as the ecclesia, as the call sent community, how can we say that we are an effective laborers of Christ? Just like a... Um, a good farmer, when she's tilling the soil, she's planting the seeds, she's watering the crops, she doesn't just stop there. That's not the mark of an effective farmer. Even, even bringing the crops into their full maturation and she's able to harvest the crops and package them up and make them really nice and put them in a storehouse, that's still not the mark of an effective harvester. Even when she brings them to grocery stores and to markets, that's still not the effect of a, of a farmer or the, the, uh, the, the mark of an effective farmer because that fruit, it hasn't reached its final destination. What is the final destination of those crops? The plates, the stomachs of those people who are consuming them. If your harvest does not cons is not consumed by others to nourish others around you, you are not bringing your full maturation. We as the church, we have a responsibility, we have a calling, we have a holy decree to not only be transformed, to not only have a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ, and to, to keep going. Those things are all awesome. But if things are unchanged around us, if souls aren't brought back, aren't redefined 
as exiles, but as children of God. If those, th- if those things are not happening around us, then we are rendered ineffective. When they ask us, how is the church doing? We have to expand our definition of effectiveness. Yes, it's great that we have numbers and our numbers are growing. It's great that we have people that are being baptized that's growing. It's great that our small groups are growing. That's all awesome. God is so proud of us for that. But it doesn't stop there. When they ask us, how is the church doing? We should say, our rebuttal should then be, how is the city doing? No, no, no. How, is, how are the nations that we touch, how are they doing? Because if they're not improving, if their conditions are not are improving and coming to Christ, into his full recon, uh, reconciliation of Christ, then we have work to do. This truth is illustrated in the book of Ezra. Raise your hand if you know what Ezra is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Ezra, in my Bible, is the 15th book. And it's between, if you, if you can't count, it's between 2 Chronicles and Nehemiah. So go ahead and, uh, and turn there, and I'll, I'll set the context. We're going to be in chapter 4. Um, so let me set the context again. We... And the people of Babylon, they had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they had taken some of the Israelites and had exiled them to a different land. And 50 years had had passed. And King Cyrus, who was the king of Persia at that time, made a holy decree. Prompted by God, he said that we are going to return those exiles. And I'm going to provide resources for you to rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem. So Zerubbabel, who was the leader at that point, is charged with this task of rebuilding the temple. So he comes back to Jerusalem, and he's working hard. He's building the temple, again, following God's holy decree financed by King Cyrus. So he's working, and the the Samaritans, the Bible describes them as adversaries. But the Samaritans, the ones who were the grandchildren of those exiled, They remained there, and they came to Zerubbabel, and they said, hey, let us build. And in chapter 4, Ezra says, Zerubbabel's rebuttal was, no, leave us alone, Uh, us alone, the true children of the Israel, us alone, we rebuild these temples. And the Samaritans, again, the Bible described them as adversaries. They walked away feeling rejected, and they wrote a report to the king at that time, the king of Persia. They wrote a report in the letter. They said some really, really nasty things. And let's just read this report here in Ezra 4, 12. We're just going to read a, a small glimpse of this. The king should know, again, this is the Samaritans writing to the king. The king should know that the Jews who come here to Jerusalem from Babylon are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city. They have already laid the foundation and will soon finish its walls. The presumptions made by Zerubbabel, calling them adversaries, not trusting that they wouldn't corrupt the holy decree, that presumption he made led to the rejection of Samaritans, and it led to the poor report 
And we later found out that that poor report then influenced the king to lay out a new decree and says that work must cease. See, when we reject those who are hungry for Christ, we kill God's influence. When we stop at planting our own seeds, when we stop at looking at the fruit, it's just our transformation, our personal transformation. We are killing God's influence. We are failing to fulfill his holy decree. You see, Zerubbabel did not understand the original decree made between God and Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, you are blessed to be a blessing. Because of this relationship between you and I, not only will your bloodline be blessed, but all of the earth. The Bible said the entire earth. It's the same thing for us. We have that same holy decree. And if we stop and fall short and think that our effective harvest is just to build up our own storehouse, then we are rendered ineffective and we will see no change around us. The world will look at us and see, just like we saw in the scripture, as a rebellious and evil city because they would not understand our plans. No, no, no. They would not understand God's plan for us and for them. It's time that we bust open our storehouses and we share out our crops to everyone. It will be really strange if, if a farmer took you to her farm and said, hey, come look at my storehouse. Aren't I a great farmer? That's awesome. Look at all this. I got peppers and bananas. and It, it would look really strange because that, if she looked at, hey, this is my storehouse and that's it, that's, that, that, that's a mark of my effectiveness, that would be really, really strange. Be, woe be unto us if we as the ecclesia, the ones who have been charged with this holy decree, the one who have been transformed from the inside out, the ones who, have, who know truth, woe be unto us if we stay where we are. Woe be unto us if we don't share and touch those around us. Woe be unto us if we don't understand that it is God's plan, his mandate that we go and we return those exiles back to his holy family. Eighteen years passed before Zerubbabel was able to resume his work. Eighteen years. Remember, that report that came from his negative encounter with the Samaritans, they then wrote a report to the king, and the king made a new decree and said the work must cease. And Zerubbabel had to wait 18 years. I don't want to be a generation that has to wait that long. I don't want to be a generation that frustrates God's decree. I, don't, I want to be a generation that runs to God's decree and understand that as, my, as a transformed man of God, I have to touch and influence those around us. That's the mark of my transformation. It's not just my own fruit, but it's the fruit in my neighborhood changing, the fruit in my workplace, the fruit in my city, the fruit in the nations that I go to. In chapter 5, we see, so again, 18 years have passed. In chapter 5, we see Zerubbabel, again, the leader of the Israelites at that time, and he's, he resumes his work of rebuilding God's temple. Again, a holy decree, a noble work. And the governor at that time, the governor comes to Zerumabil and he says, what, who are you and what are you doing? And then the Bible makes a really strange turn. The Bible doesn't really describe at all 
the conversation between the governor and Zerubbabel doesn't describe it at all. And I think God is showing us that it's less about the words that we use and more about the relationship that we build with people and more about the impressions we make on them. Do people walk away from us understanding God's plan for them? Do they walk away from us understanding God's love? Do they walk away understanding that we are transformed and the source of our transformation is Jesus? It's less about the words we use. It's more about the impressions we make on them people. So then the Bible in chapter 5, again, doesn't talk about Zerubbabel's words like it did in chapter 4. But it does, however, talk about in great detail the report or the letter the governor wrote on, on Zerubbabel's behalf. And he writes this letter. And it takes up most of chapter 5. And it tells, I, I think God is showing us that from the, the fruit of that encounter with Zerumabil, the fruit of that encounter left such an impression on him, it, it, it made, it, un, he understood truth. He understood God's truth. And he writes this letter and he sends it to King Darius, who's the, the king of Persia at this time. And in chapter 6, we see the result of this encounter. So chapter 6, we're going to read Ezra 6, verses 7 and 8. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Ezra 6, 7 and 8. It says, do not disturb the construction of the temple of God. Let it be rebuilt on its original site. Let me stop there. We make sure we got this. This is King's Darius respond to the governor of Tantanah, the governor. This is his response. We got it? All right. Let me start over. Do not disturb the construction of the temple of God. Let it be rebuilt on its original site. And do not hinder the governor of Judah and the elders of the Jews in their work. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay full construction costs. Without delay, for my taxes collected in the province west of Ephrates River, so that the work will not be interrupted. This brings me to my second point here. The fruit of our encounter with people is God's is, is the release of God's power in our cities and our nations. God is waiting for us to encounter people, to return those exiles back to his holy family, to say truth to them. And the fruit of that encounter is their report. What emanates from the souls individually of those that we encounter? What emanates from the collective souls of our cities because we are planted here? If we truly understand our decree as harvesters, then that fruit is what we are striving for. That transformation is what we are striving for. Our willingness to personally engage others and focus on relationships with others brings about the release of God's blessing. Church, God is, is maturing us. We've been talking about this a lot. He's maturing us. He's proud of us. You, understand, you, you know why I know he's, he's proud of us? Because he's given us more influence. 
He's given us more reach. He's given us more ideas. He's increasing our storehouse. It's time for us to open up those doors and boldly distribute the crops, that, the fruit that God has given us. Even in our most noble pursuits, just like Zeruma built, he was building God's temple. Even in our most noble pursuits and aspirations to follow God's direction, we must still, and above all else, focus on influencing others. Look at no one as adversary. Look at them as co-laborers in the work. The Bible talks about in chapter 6 that those, now, I want those to work with you. The decree that the new king Darius said is those people that you previously rejected, now I want them to work with you to build up God's plan. There, there's, there are souls that are groaning to be co-laborers. There are souls that are waiting for us to grab them. Go and grab them. That is the fruit. That is the mark of a true effectiveness of your discipleship. Your ability to influence those around you. Be blessed because you are blessed. Be a blessing because you are. Be transformed. Now, therefore, go transform. This is a beautiful illustration of the progression to not just resting on our own relationship and not just resting on our own personal growth. There's a beautiful illustration of this a couple of Tuesdays ago. So a couple of Tuesdays ago, we were in our Tuesday Bible study in New Orleans East. And we normally meet in public spaces like Pontilly Coffee and Gentilly, or we'll meet at Living School on Buller Avenue. But this particular time, we met in the home of Marcus and Chastity. And I think it's so awesome and so fitting that this Bible study ended differently because we were in the home. Think about it. In the home. It's a place where you're inviting people in. It's a place where people can be vulnerable. It's a place where people are building relationships. It's a place where you're touching others and influencing others. So I digress. But anyway, so we were meeting in their home, and we were talking about John 4, and they were teaching us about the woman of the well. And they were teaching us about her encounter with Jesus and then how her encounter with Jesus led to her transformation which then led to the transformation of her own city. Go ahead and read that for your homework, John chapter 4. But they were teaching us about that. And we were talking about uh, each one said different revelations and different things that we extracted from the, the, the book or the chapter. And then we ended with something that we had never done before. We ended with someone, uh, Davlin, and she's cool with me saying this, but Davlin said, hey, I, I want to take all of this knowledge that we're getting, and I want to affect those around me. How do I develop that? How do I develop that courage? And then we just begin to pray for her. You see, we, we begin to, just as, a, as an intercessor, just pray that she gains the courage to evangelize and take this knowledge outside of our Bible study and affect those around her. Because Davlin understood it's not enough that she gets the, the, she gets the encounter with Christ, but she must have, the, have others encounter Christ around her. If you have a Bible study that dispenses knowledge and people walk away with more knowledge than they had before, then you're having a pretty good Bible study. 
If you have a Bible study where people walk away with new revelations, awesome. If you have a Bible study where the numbers are growing and people are coming new every week, you're, you're doing awesome. But if you are taking that knowledge outside of the Bible study and affecting those around you, you have a kingdom Bible study. You are fulfilling the holy decree from our king to take as a, that blessing that you have, that wealth that's inside of you, and you're dispensing it out to the entire earth. When you walk into the authority of the king, the price is already paid. The price is already paid. The plans are already set. Go and capture those exiles and bring them back to his family. I'm going to end here with um, how do we practically live this? Each Sunday when we get knowledge and we get new revelation and we commune with each other, the final question should be in our minds, how do we then live this? How, because it's, it's not enough that we are transformed. It's not enough that we encounter Christ. We need to stop as a good harvester. And we need to go and capture those exiles and nourish those around us. So three ways to do that. Three ways to produce fruit in your life. One, turn the lights on for someone. What I mean is display truth to someone. Just like Zerumabil did with the governor. He sat and he dispensed God's truth. And, and, and keep watering until they are able, in their soul, they are able to say God's truth. That is it. Next, intentionally pray for reach or for increased influence. No, pray to God that my influence increases. Pray, pray to God that my sphere of, of, of control, my, my sphere of influence increases because I see myself as a willing participant in God's holy decree. Lastly, pursue his ideas and passions he has given you. Pursue, no, no, pursue them. Chase after them. Those ideas and those passions were given to you because there are souls that are assigned to you that you are supposed to go and capture and bring back to him. There are souls that are waiting for you. How dare we hold this goodness inside? Go and pursue those passions. But as you are pursuing those passions, as you are building those businesses, as you are displaying Christ to someone, understand that it is your decree to bring someone alongside you, to, fi to find co-laborers. I don't want to be a generation, again, that, that waits, that has to wait that frustrates God's plan, that misinterprets God's holy decree. The gifts inside of us, the wealth inside of us, the power that has been given to this church, this body, we have a holy mandate to go and capture those who are captive of sin and bring and shine light to them. There will be transformation in our cities. There will be transformation in our area. There will be transformation in our nation. But it starts with us. Hope this was good. Amen. Amen.
fruit. Fruit. There's personal fruit. There's personal fruit. Evidenced by the gifts inside of us. Evidenced by increased influence and increased authority. But it's also a fruit that we have to transform others. Let that be our holy destination. Let us not stop until we have achieved that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.